Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of the It Is Top Podcast, 25th of Kislev, and uh, that's for our leap year. And so, happy Hanukkah. It's the first day of Hanukkah. I hope you're having a nice one so far. And so, here we go. So, we are in, we're still in Chapter 1. We're in the conclusion of Chapter 1, which we started yesterday, of the Tanya. And just to give a little bit of a recap, yesterday's Tanya, we were left off with a lot of questions. <laughs> we were trying to understand the various classifications of people that are given in the Gemara, whether we're talking about righteous people, wicked people, and then this like other really obscure category seemingly of <clears throat> the Benini, the intermediate man. <clears throat> so we're trying to understand what these terms mean. And we concluded last time that it, they definitely cannot mean what is commonly thought of as a tzaddik, a righteous person, is somebody who is mostly does good things, but once in a while does bad things. And a wicked person is someone who usually behaves badly, but once in a while does good things. The altar of it totally rejects these definitions. And in today's Tanya, he does start off and he says the reason why sometimes these terms are used in such a way is only when they're being used for a very specific purpose in terms of when we're talking about about reward and punishment. And so, and he says that this is, he uses, he says that in those cases, it, he calls them borrowed terms, that we're borrowing those terms to talk about a person in terms of the reward and punishment that they're supposed to be getting. But in a more essential way, in terms of what a person, who a person really is, is a person essentially wicked, is a person essentially righteous, is a person essentially an intermediate man or woman, that is something totally different. And we have to understand what these terms mean in a deeper way. So we mentioned last time that we have two inclinations. We have a yetzer tov, a, a good inclination, and we have an evil inclination. And the altar of is really, really adamant that he says that in the case of a truly righteous person, a true tzaddik, it's not that they are mostly good and they usually behave in a good way. It's that they have, it's not even about behavior, it's that they have actually eradicated their Yetzir Hara. They have eradicated, eradicated completely any impulse to do bad within themselves, totally and completely. And he says these people are so unique and so rare that there's actually only a few people, a few of them that God placed in every generation in order to keep the world standing. So they, these are not the common folk. These are not, when we just think about good people, the average, you know, when you think about 
your neighbor that does a lot of kindness and goodness and things like that, it's, you know, maybe it's, maybe that person's a tzaddik, but most likely not. Like these true tzaddikim are people that are so, um, that are, that they're, they're, it's not just about them behaving in a good way and mostly acting in the right way or mostly having good thoughts. It's that they absolutely do not have any impulse at all to do anything negative, anything against God ever at all, to, at any time. So that's obviously a very high level and not a level, as we mentioned, that most people attain. And which is why the book, this particular book is not called the book of the righteous person. It's called the book of the intermediate man, which is what we really want to understand. So we're going to take a little bit of a tangent here in today's episode. And in order to understand better what it means to be an intermediate person um, and, and how we can achieve that state, is by actually delving into our souls and delving into the makeup of our souls. So this book was primarily written for Jewish people. If you're not Jewish and you're listening, it's you still might find these ideas relevant. There's a lot of relevance to everybody in this book. But here, when he gives the map of the soul, he is really being very specific about it being per pertinent to Jewish souls. There's a little note at the end that I'll get to that does talk about non-Jewish souls, and then there's a further note that's not in the Tanya itself, but that I've I've read somewhere, or I might have heard it that the Rebbe gave about that. So um, I'll so I'll mention that when we get there. But for now, just to get back to the Jewish souls, which is again the main topic of our book. So the Alter Rebbe describes how every Jewish person has two souls. So it's interesting if you ever feel really conflicted or really like you're more than one person. Um, you know, that you kind of have a split personality, you're not entirely wrong because you actually have two souls within you. In today's portion, we're going to really focus on one of the souls and we'll leave the second soul to later on. So today's episode, the focus of today's episode is the animating soul, sometimes known as the animal soul. And we'll try to understand why it's called that. So the animating soul stems from two things. Here are some terms I'm going to throw out to you and I'm going to explain them to the best of my ability. They stem, it stems from the what's known as klipa and sitra achra. So I'll start with sitra achra. That might be a better way to explain it. So sitra achra literally means the other side, the side of other. And this is a Kabbalistic term and this is a term that's used uh, in Kabbalah to explain the side which conceals godliness. So we believe in the world, everything in the world is made up of godliness. There is nothing devoid of God. We're going to get deeper into this in the Tanya when we get to the section of Shari Yichud Munah and we talk about the gate of unity when we talk about the makeup of the world and what the world is made up of. But for now, just briefly, you should know that there is nothing in the world devoid of godliness. Everything is godliness. We don't believe in, you know, some other religions believe that there's like two forces in the world. There's the force of evil, the force of good. No, we believe everything is good. Everything is God. However, God did set up the world in such a way that he is he is concealed sometimes and that there are lots of different creatures that he created that specifically were created for the purpose of concealing him. Why he did this is a subject for another time. Again, we'll talk about it a little bit later in the Tanya. It does it does uh, touch on these subjects. But for now, you should just know this, that there is there are these entities, there are these worlds even, these realms, the sole purpose of which is to conceal godliness from the world. 
So in a general sense, when we talk about this realm of concealment of godliness, we call it the Sitra Ahra, the other side. And this is one reason for the reason why that is called that is like it's we think of it as other, as it's foreign. It's something different. It's not the usual, the norm, the familiar, which is God. So the other side, the Sitra Ahra. The other term that we used is Klipa. Klipa is a similar thing. Klipa comes from the Sitra Acha. Klipa, Klipa literally means husk. This is a word, that, word that's going to come up a lot in the Tanya, so you should really familiarize yourself with it. it. It Again, it's that there are things in the world that reveal godliness in a very overt way, and then there are things in the world that conceal godliness. And the way in which God chose to have these things conceal him is he covered them up with husks, sort of like an outer shell, sort of like if you have like a walnut or something like that, and it's covered the meat of the walnut, the nut itself is covered by this outer shell. So too are many things in the world, pretty much most things in our world covered by these shells. Some of the shells, just like with nuts and fruits and you know vegetables and things like that, some of the shells are harder and more opaque. Some of them are a little bit more translucent, but there are many different types of shells. So to get back to the subject at hand, we're talking about the animal soul, the animating soul in the body. So this is the soul that you have that gives your life vitality and life. It's what people usually think of as like, um, maybe, I don't, I don't want to misuse terms, but maybe in, in uh, Chinese medicine, when they talk about the qi, it's, it's kind of like the vitality, the life force that flows through you, that flows through your blood, that keeps you alive. It's, it's, the, it's the vital force within you that's keeping your body going and moving and flowing. And what differentiates a live person pretty much from somebody who's not alive anymore. So what the Ultra is saying here is that the source of this soul, this animating soul that vivifies your body, where does it come from? It comes from the Klipa and the Sitra Ahara, which might sound like, oh, wow, that's pretty negative, you know, but we'll see that there's a purpose to all of this and there's a reason why God set it up this way. So so just keep that in mind if you're think, picturing a map in your head. The animal soul within you, the vital soul that vivifies your body comes from this Klipa and Sitra Ahara, which conceals God. And then what happens is that this soul then goes from its source and it vests itself inside of the blood of you, your blood, and vivifies your body. And, and that's what keeps us alive. That's what keeps us going. So now that we know that, we're going to delve a little bit deeper and we're going to break it down. We're going to look at what this soul is actually made up of. So you may have heard this idea that there are four elements that constitute all of creation. So Judaism talks about this too. The Rambam talks about this quite a bit. And here, we're going to bring this up as well, where it's these, this animal soul that we have is also made up of these four elements. But it's made up these, of these four elements in not the most positive way. So what the altar of is, is, is about to describe is kind of human psychology and um, the root of all negative character traits. And we know that we all struggle with some type of negative character trait in some way. Some of us have a tendency to uh, be not so motivated, let's say, like be more on like the lazy side and like melancholy and that kind of thing. Some people might have like anger issues. Uh, some people might have a more self-indulgent kind of nature. So the ultra is going to describe where all of these tendencies come from. 
So he says that all of these negative character traits that a person might have come from these four elements in a negative kind of way. And here's the breakdown of them. So just to, just to give an outline, the four elements that when we mention these four elements are fire, water, wind, and earth. So fire, we're gonna start with fire. So fire, the Ultra Rebbe says, is the source of anger and pride. So if anybody of you can identify with having pride issues, like being overly prideful or having anger issues that you have a strong temper, this is coming from the fire element within your animal soul. The second element is water. Water is the source of desire and pleasures. So if any of you feel that you have you know, tendencies towards overindulging in food and pleasures of life, whatever they might be. This is coming from the water element within your animal soul. Then we have wind. Wind is the source of frivolity, mockery, vanity, and idle talk. So any of you that might, you know, struggle with the idea of kind of maybe staying on topic, maybe talking too much, um, maybe talking about other people and or maybe being a little light light and not like like you have trouble kind of like just um, focusing and you know being serious and that kind of thing this is coming from the wind element within your soul within your animal soul and then finally we have the earth element which is the source of laziness and sadness and like you know melancholy and all of those that heaviness within you so if any of you identify with that feeling with the feeling of kind of a hard, having a hard time getting yourself going in the morning or being motivated or feeling positive about life this is coming from the earth element within your soul so this is an outline of your animal soul this is what this is a general outline of the animal soul and what it's made up of and now here the ultra rabbi says something really interesting and he says that for jews even the positive traits that a jew might have such as being compassionate or generous or that kind of thing is actually sourced in these elements as well and you might be going, huh? I thought these elements were all negative. This this sounds really weird. And the altar is going to explain this. And he says that this is because there are different types of klipos. So remember we talked about the klipos and the, the husks. So there are some klipos that, and we're going to get deeper into it in future episodes, but there are what's known as, I'll, I'll hint at it a little bit here. There's what's known as the three impure klipos, the three impure husks, which are absolutely evil and have no chance of redemption at all. And they're totally self-serving. They just totally conceal godliness, do not reveal. They're totally opaque, if you want to think about it like that. Versus then we have what's called klipas noga. So the word noga literally translates as luminous. So these klipos, these shells, are a little bit more translucent. And these shells come up a lot in Tanya. And it's I know these terms are might be new for some of you right now, but really, you know, they'll become more familiar with time. You'll see the recurrent recurrence of these themes, especially the claim Klipas Noga. Klipas Noga is a reference to shells which are not super opaque. They are shells which are a little bit more translucent. And what this means is that they are worthy of redemp redemption. They do reveal godliness a little bit. Even though they do still primarily conceal godliness, we can actually use these shells and uncover them and get rid of that outer layer of concealment and reveal the inner godliness that's within them. And so this is where the category of the Jewish soul would come into, the Jewish 
uh, animal soul. So this is this is what the altar is talking about here. So in, what the altar is saying here is that within Jews, there are a lot of positive traits that actually stem from these klipos as well. And the reason for this, and, and those positive traits, traits can include things such as the natural, compassionate nature of, of a, a Jewish person or a person who feels naturally get, uh, generous or kind and that kind of thing. So he says that these traits that are positive actually come from the come from the animal soul as well. So that might be like, okay, that sounds weird, you know? And one way to think about this is that when we talk about, um, you know, the, the soul being the animal soul. So if you think about animals, you, this might sound like we were being disparaging towards animals, like animals, oh, it's so animalistic, it's so horrible. But in fact, no, like animals aren't necessarily so bad. You see animals often caring for their young, um, helping one another out like you actually don't see animals starting wars with each other and doing a lot of things that that humans tend to do so um so being animalistic isn't necessarily a negative thing at least not in this context what it just simply is referring to is that it's innate it's it's coming from a natural place so the natural it's something that you don't really have to work on so if you have a jewish person who is naturally giving who's naturally a feeling kind of person towards other people who naturally enjoys giving to other people being generous being compassionate this natural these natural traits come from their animal soul because of the fact that their animal soul is rooted within the klipas noga, these luminous husks that do reveal godliness to some extent. So they're not entirely evil, so to speak, or like are not entirely like, you know, concealing godliness the way the other three klipas are. So now the altar of it ends off here with a set with a part that is might sound kind of controversial. And it's actually been omitted from certain um, editions of the Tanya because of that, but I'm going to include it because it is part of the official Tanya and I'm going to give a little bit more notes on it based on what I heard how the Rebbe explained this. So he says here that this is this idea that the animal soul is coming from Klipas Noga, like coming from these more translucent, translucent husks that do reveal godliness to some extent. This is only true for Jews. He says for non-Jews or to be more specific, what he says for idolatrous nations. So he says this is not the case. And he says that they're, the source of their animal soul is actually in the klipos, the three negative klipos that do not contain any good at all. And that any goodness that you might see that happen amongst the nations is happening 100% out of selfish, selfish motives, that there is nothing at all altruistic about it. And this is, um, so I have a couple of things to say about this. So the first thing that I'm gonna say is that um, and maybe some of you have heard about this, and there's a large portion of, of people in the world of psychology who really say that no, true altruism, altruism does not exist, and that any good that people do, and people could do a lot of good, is actually at some core, if you go down deeply into the motivation enough, it's coming from a selfish place. So why do people give charity, even large sums of charity? because it feels good. It feels good to give charity. Or maybe in an even more simple way, they want honor. They, they want to be thought of as a, a very charitable person. But even more than that, you know, it just, it feels good to give. Why do people do favors to other people? Because they're expecting to get something back. 
Or again, because it might just feel good for them to give. Even the idea of empathy. There's a really good book that I read not too long ago called Against Empathy, in which he explores the subject. The the author, Paul Bloom, talks about the idea that empathy is a little bit overrated because people tend to have empathy in very selective ways. Like when people see an ad for a, a you know, for a kid um, who's starving in Africa, for example, then they'll have empathy for that little child that they see on TV because it like pulls at their heart, heartstrings, but they're forgetting about the millions of other children that are also starving and sometimes have not the most detrimental effects. I don't want to get too much into a tangent here about this, this idea, but basically empathy and compassion and generosity can be extremely selective and can often be a lot more selfishly based than we might think it is. This isn't to say that we shouldn't ever have compassion or, um, you know, do things that are nice unless it's 100% coming from an altruistic place. It's okay to do things sometimes that are coming from a selfish place, but this is, you know, one way of understanding what the altar is talking about here, that amongst the nations of the world, this concept of true, true altruism does not exist the way that it might in the soul of a Jew, which is something that we'll get into a little bit later. So it's not disparaging towards other people. It's saying that everybody has the potential to do good. Everybody has the potential to act in good ways. But the question is, is true altruism possible? The other thing that I wanted to mention is that I actually remember reading a footnote of the Rebbe somewhere. If anybody knows the source of this, please do share it with me because I can't recall offhand where it was. But uh, where the Rebbe actually said that there is an exception to this. There's this con to this idea that the souls of non-Jewish people stem from a place of total selfishness, where he says that there is this concept of chasidei umot olam. This is the righteous amongst the Gentile nations. This is a reference to the fact that we, as Jews, we are not a proselytizing nation. We actually discourage people from converting to Judaism. It's not something that we believe that all people should be Jewish. However, we do believe that all people in the world do have a purpose, and we're all God's children. And non-Jewish people do have commandments, just like Jews have commandments, and they're called the seven Noahide laws. If you'd like more information about that, you can list a question in the comments below, or you can send me a, a message and reach out to me, and hopefully I can refer you to a good place for that. But in brief, basically everybody in the world does have a purpose in terms of serving God. And a non-Jewish person who takes it upon themselves to serve God and to not live a selfish life and to live a life that is more godly and that is in accordance with God's plan and help the Jewish people. This is somebody who we refer to as a righteous Gentile, one of the people of the Hasideu Motaolam, the righteous amongst the nations. And for such a person, what the Alter Rebbe said in this footnote that I saw, he said that their soul actually does not come from these three impure klipos. Their soul, just like the soul of a Jew, actually comes from klipas noga, from this translucent klipa. There's a slight difference in terms of which aspect of the soul, but, uh, but the basic point is that it's not so clear-cut that all non-Jewish people come from this more selfish place. So that is the end of today's Tanya. And and so just to recap, in today's episode, we talked about how Jewish people have two souls. And our main focus of today was on the one of the souls, which we call the animating soul or the animal soul, which is the soul that vivifies the body, that gives blood and life force to the body. And this soul is the source of many different 
negative character traits that we have, such as um, that stem from the four elements within creation, such as anger or indulgence or frivolity or laziness. And it is also, interestingly enough, the source of many good traits within us that are more innate, like that are natural feelings of wanting to be generous or kind or compassionate to other people. So I hope you enjoyed and I'll speak to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.